iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Once again, good evening and uh, welcome to the Apple Store Soho for tonight's Meet the Filmmaker special event. Uh, we're very pleased uh, to have uh, an Oscar award-winning documentary filmmaker joining us tonight. Uh, before I talk about tonight's special event, I want to introduce you to Meet the Filmmaker, uh, an exciting podcast series which you can find on iTunes that brings you up close and personal with today's top filmmakers. You can find it by searching for Meet the Filmmaker, and you can check out many of the exciting events that we've hosted here at the Apple Store Soho. It Might Get Loud tells the personal stories in their own words of three generations of electric guitar virtuosos. The Edge from U2, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, and Jack White of the White Stripes. It reveals how each developed his unique sound and style of playing favorite instruments, guitars both found and invented. Before we introduce tonight's special guest, please enjoy the trailer from It Might Get Loud. everyone crazy trying to get the sound that I can hear in my head to come out of the speakers. It's my voice. That is my voice. We're going there to have a chat, but it just so happens that the instruments are there as well, so who knows? I plan to trick both of these guys into teaching me all their tricks. It's going to be very interesting. When the three of us get together, what's going to happen? Probably a fist fight. This is the hall where Levy breaks. Was it recorded? This brings back some memories. I play a really old guitars, plastic guitars. The neck's a little bit bent and it's a little bit out of tune and I want it to be a struggle. This instrument was just calling out to me. 20 minutes in this store just to find the sound of the band. I love effects units. And it's very rare that he will use the same sound in 23 songs. This is what I'm actually playing. The rest is the foot pedal, the effects, the whole thing. Might get loud for a second. We're all attempting to share something with another human being. Every night that we went on stage, it was living, totally living. Total commitment, getting across what you wanted to say. But it just comes from the creative spark, really. That family of storytellers. You're supposed to join the family, become part of it. That's why I took up the guitar in the first place. <laughs> nice! nice. <laughs> and who says you need to buy a guitar? Moderating tonight's special event is uh, the contributing editor of Rolling Stone, Anthony DeCurtis. At this time, please join me in welcoming Davis Guggenheim and Anthony DeCurtis. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. 
you know, it's sort of amazing that we have the director of An Inconvenient Truth here. I think he'll probably look forward to more weather like this, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're here to talk about It Might Get Loud, which is, uh, you know, a very, very powerful film about the guitar. And I wanted to just ask you, uh, you know, how'd you come up with the concept for it? I mean, it's a, you know, it's an interesting idea and an interesting way to approach it. You know, how'd you, how'd you fix on it? Uh, the Thomas Toll, who produced 300 and Batman Begins and now The Hangover, called me into his office and said, um, in a month you're going to win an Academy Award. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Because you're going to win an Academy Award and I want you to produce my next movie. And it's, I want you to direct my next movie and it's about the electric guitar. And... I went home and looked at a hundred rock and roll documentaries, and there are a few gems, but to me, the documentaries that I saw about music didn't answer the questions that I wanted to answer, which is, how do you write a song? And how did these guys become who they are? Like, why a kid in Dublin or a kid in Detroit become these amazing artists? At what point did the generational aspect, uh, you know, interest you? You know, how was, you know, what led to that, you know, rather than just say, you know, three classic rock guitarists or three, you know, contemporary guitarists, whatever? Well, I was interested in what they would, how they would play off of each other, the contrast between the experiences and the similarities, and that, I mean, it could have been about one guitarist, or it could have been about the Rolling Stone 100 best guitarists, but I thought if you picked three and you drilled in real deep, and they were from different approaches, you know, U2 is the opposite of Led Zeppelin, and Jack White is the opposite of everybody. I mean, you tell me, but there's definitely like, the differences were interesting to me. Yes, exactly. I mean, one of the things is that, I mean, someone like The Edge came up, you know, almost hating the idea of the guitar hero and working against it in the process of becoming a guitar hero, you know, right, whereas, right. whereas Paige kind of, you know, just completely embodies all that mythology, you know, yeah. and uh, when we were chatting backstage, I mean, one of the interesting things about the film is I've never seen Jimmy Page in a, in a context in which he seemed um, kind of humble, really, and, and talking about, something about talking about the music he loves and talk, talking about the instrument that means so much to him, I think brought out a side of him that, it, that it's very hard to find in almost any other context. Yeah, I mean, what I bought into is a process. And you, as a writer, you know that. It's like, it's, it's, more, it's almost as important what you don't put in is what you do put in. And what I said to them, what I said to Jimmy, who's never done anything like this and really wanted to know, <laughs> was what, yes. I said, look, I'm not, this isn't about, we're not going to have any um, um, rock critics, pardon me. Yes. We're not going to have any Certainly not. rock historians. We're not going to have any ex-girlfriends. We're not even going to have the lead singer. What we're going to have is a process where he and I have a long conversation we spent two days in a hotel room just talking for hours, just recorded audio. And from those conversations, I would pull this almost reflective dialogue that then I used as a, to put over the movie. So Jimmy Page tells his story, uh, and Jack tells his story, and, and Edge tells his story. And it's, it's amazing that no one really notices, but no one else is in the movie. Very few other people talk. It's just them, and it's like the, the, the style is something I kind of stumbled upon with Inconvenient Truth because I wanted, to find, I wanted to find Al Gore 
in a in a way in which I'd never seen him before, which is quiet and thoughtful and like these little movies that had internal monologues. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the things. Um, that struck me is also the degree of at the same time as the movie is not at all contrived there are so many like little surprises in it just things that you're um, I don't know surprised to hear in a sense and I was wondering if there were surprises for you in talking to these people like things that you were just sitting there going like wow you know I just kind of didn't really expect to hear that or for for that person to say that well again going back to the process which is I bought into a process where I had no map. And so these interviews, which I didn't have any pre... A lot of documentaries suffer from the fact that you can Google anybody. And you could basically... You could plot someone's biography by what's on Wikipedia. And I think that suddenly makes people... That's why Al Gore was Al Gore for, for 40 years. You know, you're like... You, and I want to say... So if you pick this process where you're constantly just finding your way, you're surprised every day. You're surprised. And so, for instance, Edge was, I said, how do you write your songs? Well, we were in a little room and we would play a four-track tape player. And um, I go, well, that's cool. And you just play it back? And he goes, yeah, it was gibberish, but we'd play it. I go, well, do you have any of those? He goes, I don't know. So we went back to his closet in the office and he brought back a hundred of these tapes. And you see him playing back the tapes. Yes. And some of the songs, you don't make any sense. And then their streets have no name. Yes, exactly. But the early sketches of it. And he's like, I didn't know he had this. And Bono, there's no words yet. Bono's just counting out the rhythms. And you go, this, and I go, this is like an ancient artifact. This is how a song is written. And that, the process is like, that's surprising. And it, it was amazing how much of it was there also. I mean, even as it was a sketch, you know, you... I mean, you knew immediately what it was, and you know, you knew what it would become. It, I mean, there was a kind of, I mean, just kind of like, wow! It's as if it just kind of sprang out of his head somehow, and you know, eventually it would become, you know, where the streets have no name. I wonder if maybe we should look at a clip again and and uh, and focus uh, some of this. I apprenticed out to a lot of people when I was younger. I was an apprentice in an upholstery shop when I was a teenager. Brian Muldoon was the master of the upholstery shop, and uh, he was the one teaching me, and he played drums. Well, I guess I'll play guitar then. So when we were done with our work day, we moved the couches over and uh, set up and play in the shop. surf and rockably Dick Dale and trying to absorb everything. He'd pick me up from school. I'd start tearing down furniture or ripping off fabric and cotton off uh, old chairs, gluing fabric to foam on weird curves, tearing off all the old fabric. You imagine all the stuff that's inside of a couch, M&M's, cereal and the baby's toys. Oh, here's how you sew a, a welt cord. Oh, here's how you sew a fly strip on the back of a decking. He exposed me to punk music, the Velvet Underground, the Cramps. Really took me under his wing to be an employee and to play music together. And I started writing songs. Kind of became a band. We got to put out a record and we called it The Upholsterers. 
Well, you know, the, one of the things about the uh, the Jack White uh, portion of the film is again so moving. Not only for that kind of fascinating stuff, but also, you know, when he's talking about you know where he grew up and like the kind of price he had to pay, you know, I mean, in his neighborhood, you know, for for his you know, love of the guitar for just p simply playing an instrument. You know, the idea that, like, hip-hop was so totally the dominant form that everybody was into that to kind of be walking around with an instrument was to, you know, almost like be I mean, just kind of completely off the scale. The most embarrassing... He grew up in Mexican town in Detroit in the 80s, and he, you know, everyone was into hip-hop, and he said, you know, the most embarrassing thing you could do is play an instrument. You know, and he was completely isolated. And you think of these two guys in a garage doing upholstery for eight hours and then moving their couches aside and saying, okay, let's play music now. Well, one of the things also that he was talking about that was interesting was uh, the way he would almost kind of set up musical... You know, we, we watched him in the trailer, you know, creating, uh, you know, what really is kind of, uh, you know, like a diddly bow, essentially an electronic, you know, diddly bow, an old kind of blues instrument that, that you know... Uh, a lot of musicians who couldn't afford to buy a guitar would create. And he's almost wanting to get back and just kind of go through the whole process of creating the kind of challenges for himself as a musician, like not just walking in and buying, you know, the great guitar and the effects set and all of this stuff, like finding ways to, uh, finding challenges, finding things to overcome in his own playing and in the instrument that he's using to create new sounds and to hear it fresh. Yeah, it feels like he's fighting... He's fighting the guitar hero phenomenon, yes. you know, pushing a yellow button and that's a chord. <laughs> or your dad taking to guitar center and buying a $5,000 Les Paul. You know, he's saying you can build a guitar out of two by four. It doesn't matter. Or you can, you can he played with, uh, for a long time, an airliner that you bought at Montgomery Ward. And that his amp he still uses is a silver tone that you could buy at Sears for 80 bucks. And he keeps saying it's not the, it's not the tools you know, it's the, it's the energy and the spirit and the, um, they, they use the word attitude a lot, which I'd never heard till I made this movie. Was that a, in Rolling Stone and in the, in the word of, of rock and roll, is that a word you hear a lot? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of the whole point in a way. I mean, you know, the idea that, you know, that it's not, you know, technique only takes you so far and maybe the technique also can be an impediment, yeah. you know, to play too well could then lead you into conventions that rock and roll was meant to either ignore or overcome or destroy. Right, you know, right, and I think right, Jack right. White kind of epitomizes that uh, in a sense, you know, even as he's a great player. Yeah, people criticize Jimmy Page for being kind of sloppy. But then you see these guys on YouTube uh, playing some of these solos perfectly, and there's no, like the 13-year-old kid in, in Taiwan who's playing this solo perfectly, and you don't, you're not feeling a thing. Well, you know, <laughs> exactly. Well, the thing, um, you know, in the, in the trailer that we're watching and in the film itself, uh, you know, you see a little bit about them talking about getting together and, you know, Paige is just kind of saying, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, 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 and Jack White talks about, you know, like, gee, we're, you know, we'll probably have a fist fight. You know, there's, did you have a sense of that there was a little bit of, um, I don't know if trepidation is the right word, but just a little bit of, gee, what is this going to be like? It's, it's one thing for me to talk about my playing, but what is it going to be like to be in a room with these other guys? Well, my, you know, you, you start with you, what you think is a really good idea, which is I'm going to bring them together for two days and I'm not going to tell them what to do. And we actually drew a map at Warner Brothers um, so that Jimmy would enter a certain way and never see Edge and, all, you know, 
And, uh, and then when they got there, I'm like, I made the biggest mistake because they didn't know what to play. They didn't know what to talk about. And uh, for a couple hours, it was kind of awkward. And then out of nowhere, Jimmy stands up and picks up his uh, guitar and plays Whole Lot of Love. And that was the first music that was played in the movie. And Jack and Edge, you could see their faces. Are, yeah, exactly. And and it's like the virgin at, at, appearing at Fatima or something. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, it amazing. Yeah. And it was kind of a throwdown because it's like, okay, yeah, I wrote okay Jack, what do you <laughs> got? Okay, Edge, what do you got? And then they were engaged. And what, what I started to realize is that these guys articulate but they much prefer to express themselves through this this instrument that you know bono is up there singing his heart out but when you're at a u2 concert you're feeling that guitar and that guitar is saying just as much to you well when edge says you know that's my voice that's my voice you know when he when he was talking about it i mean yeah. it's, it's really powerful let's watch another uh let's watch another clip I was 17, I think, the summer of 78. My family actually were in New York. It was like walking into a movie for me. I mean, I remember not only did they speak like they did in the movies, but the cars looked like they did in the movies. That's actually how people spoke. That's actually what the place looked like. It's a burden when you have a truck or a van because everybody you know wants you to move their stuff for them, you know. So every time you get a phone call, you're like, yeah, I'll come help you move your stove or your safe. Uh, I helped uh, my brother move a refrigerator. Him and his wife started managing a, a St. Vincent de Paul store. It's like a Salvation Army uh, kind of store in Detroit. So I helped him move a refrigerator there. The sunburst, tobacco sunburst, my first electric. Just tremendous. Just couldn't believe it when I actually got it home. And there it was in the, in the house. Fantastic. This was the one. This was the one that I was after. I went around to the stores on, on the street and found Stuyvesant guitars. Guitars everywhere, people everywhere. This instrument was just there, calling out to me. This explorer. I was really starting to go on my way then. My technique started to improve. Became like a total addiction, to the point where actually I was now starting to take it to school. And I'd be practicing during the recess breaks. And then it got to the point where the guitar was confiscated. They thought it was going to be counterculture or something. I wasn't doing any harm to anybody. 
Not then it wasn't. Uh, you know, as as we were watching that, you know, you were talking about, you know, that at, at no point do you kind of see them in these, uh, you know, talk about that a little bit as, you know, just kind of as from the standpoint of, of a filmmaker, you know, what, you know, what are the issues with that or the concerns and, and what are you trying to do? Well, the idea that in a lot of most documentaries, you see the guy talking, you're a sit down interview, the DP backlit them carefully and, and uh, you kind of watch and you, and, and Part of me when I watch that I go, God, he's aged a little bit, you know, or you know, or um, uh, I didn't oh, realize that's he, a nice shirt actually. That's a nice right, shirt. Right, right, yeah. And it, where, does he, is that his house? Yeah. You know, or maybe that's a hotel. I don't know. And what you see in these is they're never on camera, and I and it's it's great because it's cheap. It makes it much more intimate. Strangely, I mean, like not seeing them, it's almost as if you're inside their heads, hearing them and, and watching the imagery. You know, pass through that 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 they might be seeing somehow. That's right. The the Jack White stuff as an upholsterer, we just shot eight millimeter footage of of me and my friend tearing apart a couch. And the point is, you know, documentaries. You could say, well, that's not really, you know, accurate. That wasn't Jack White. That yeah, wasn't right. Jack White. But in spirit, it was, and it takes you to a time and place much more so than seeing Jack White sitting in a chair telling a story. And it means that I can go off and interview him for hours by myself. And he can talk so freely because there's no crew there. There's no lights. Well, and also, I think, um, you know, as you were saying, the subject, uh, I mean, you might say, I mean, I'm not a musician myself. And, you know, the, the idea, you know, if somebody says to me, well, you know, somebody made uh, you know, a documentary about guitar players. Well, I like guitar players, so I'm kind of interested. But I'm kind of thinking, well, gee, I hope it doesn't get you know, it just doesn't become too technical or too kind of cold or, you know, whereas there's something about... Guitar porn. Yeah, right. There's something about these guys talking about all this stuff that makes them reveal more about themselves and, and you know, speak in a personal way. Like, you know, when Edge is talking about seeing New York City and, yeah. and what it was like or, you know, Jack White is, you know, talking about, you know, his experiences, uh, you know, in, that, in the upholstery shop and all that stuff. And, and certainly Paige, as I was saying before, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which the musical aspect of it, you know, takes them to an emotional place That's right. that then, you know, you just dig right into. That's right. And uh, so it could be the guitar, it could be a street artist in Soho. The, 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 the process is just taking to a time and place and it's almost irrelevant, you know, um, what you really, what I really love is is to is to to hear someone's emotions and and, and go into that. And, and my job is to sort of help the audience sort of put away some of these sort of intellectual barriers and just go there and feel that moment. You know. Do you want to watch some more? Do you yeah, want please, to talk? Yeah. yeah. Let's let's uh, look at another one. I had this record at home of uh, a guitar that had a lot of sustain on it, and I and I and I, I got him to come down and have a listen to it. I said, "Can you get that?" And he went away and came back with this phenomenal thing: distortion pedal, which overloads the signal, overdrive the sound, and make it sound pretty rude. 
Whoa. <laughs> it's, that, uh, well, I mean, what can you say? <laughs> um, you know, you described that moment when, uh, you know, when Paige started uh, playing a whole lot of love and, you know, in the room. You know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, what you saw as the interaction among the three of them. I think they got along better than I expected. And I think my instinct is, is that as filmmakers, excuse me, as musicians who are used to going to rehearsal spaces and used to meeting a stranger and having to make music together, someone comes in, puts in a backing track, that immediately they're going to they're gonna look across boundaries that maybe you and I wouldn't do. Um, so by the end, at the beginning, I think they, they were feeling each other out. By the end, when we had wrapped, the equipment was all out of the stage, they were still talking because they couldn't get enough of each other. And there was actually something in Rolling Stone, uh, I forget who said it, that uh, Edge is playing on the new album sounds a little bit like Jimmy Page. You know, and Jack White's new guitar sounds a little bit like Edge. So, you know, I don't know. Well, what it's do you really think? interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, I hear a lot of Jimmy Page and Jack White's playing. You know, yeah. I think that... Uh, I mean, Page is obviously such a reference for so many guitarists. You know, I mean... Even when they're resisting him and resisting the pull of what he represents, they're responding to what he did. You know, he yeah. was, you know, I mean, he's one of the pantheon, obviously. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting to see him. And, and, I mean, he's well aware of that. I mean, I didn't know how much tension there would be. You know, there's, you know, look, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I've interviewed The Edge plenty of times. Uh, I've interviewed Paige. Um, I've never met Jack White, but I mean, I think that there's a sense often, you know, you need a pretty big ego to do what these guys do. And they're kind of not used to sharing. And a singular know. focus. Yeah. Like and, they do what they do. You know, on the other hand, they're in bands. They, you know, they're very supportive of their singers. You know, that, that kind of attitude, they know how to, they know how to cooperate. And so to watch the tension between those two things of who I am and then what I'm here to do with these other people. Yeah. I mean, I felt that there was, you know, when they were just, you know, when I saw them together, I was just thinking like, oh my God, just as a viewer, you, you get a sense of, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, you feel a tension yourself, I think, and then you watch it, you know, evaporate, as you were describing. One of the interesting things, which is another movie, but uh, before the guys arrived, the, the, the guitar techs, I never knew that term, but the, the guy in charge of preparing everything perfectly, tuning the guitar, the wires, the amps, everything's perfect. Before they arrived at, the, at the, what we call the summit, the guitar techs were setting up, and you could see them look, and they're kind of like the surrogates for the guitarists themselves. Yes. So, you know. Yeah, they're very protective. And yeah. one of them is watching Edge's equipment coming out, which is like, crates and crates full of electronic equipment he's going mm, yeah, okay so that's how he does it okay you, you know and, and that kind of thing but um, that's another movie well that was the other moment you know like when Jack White talks about like wanting to learn the tricks you know and, and every guitarist has them every musician has them and, and I was wondering if you know maybe that's what they were all talking about you know when they were uh, you know like when they were you know having that conversation when Paige is like watching Edge's fingers uh, you know, as they're playing and just kind of going, oh, do you, you know, do you go to C? Are you something? sure about yeah. that C? So Edge is teaching Jack and Jimmy how to play I Will Follow, sort of a classic punk song, would you say? Or yeah, sure. They're post-punk yeah. officially, but like, you know, but he's We're playing I Will Follow, which is like, you know, pretty 
not a bluesy song. And he's, and he's teaching Jack and Jimmy, and Jimmy is trying to move his body the way he does, and his mouth is moving, and, he's, and, and, uh, ed, and it's kind of like a rhythmic, hard, repetitive song. At the end of it, Jimmy's like, are you sure about that C? He's asking Edge, who's played the song for 35 years. <laughs> it was like, okay, there is, there is a bridge too far. Well, and, you know, those <laughs> moments, too, were, were revealing. I mean, it seems to me, you know, like the thing that, in a sense... I mean, that page has, I mean, even is, I mean, is a kind of swing, you know, yeah, like there's yeah. a kind of swing. And that's not necessarily in, in U2's music. It's right. not necessarily in the White Stripes either, you right. know. And, and, you know, I think, you know, being of the generation that he's from and playing the way he plays, it, 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 was, it was very interesting to, I mean, I think he understood what Edge was doing, but like for him to feel it and move with it was a different sort of thing. And uh, there's an early clip of Jimmy Page as a 12-year-old, I'm guessing 12, on this TV show. And he's perfectly cropped yes. a skiffle band. He's playing acoustic. Yes. Uh, and uh, we and the editor look at it, and my producer, Leslie Chilcott, look at it, and uh, she always says, look at his leg. His left leg is moving. It's swinging. Yeah. You know, and you, when you look at him now, 50 years later, that left leg is still swinging and his hips are still moving. And it's really, it's just wonderful. If he's next time, you, or when you see it, it's wonderful to watch. Let's, uh, let's look at the next clip. This is what I'm actually playing. That's it. The rest is the foot pedal, the effects, the whole thing. You know, so if you're on acoustic guitar and say, here's my new riff. It's a really cool riff. Listen. Oh, that clip, I think, sort of gets at that, that idea of, like, you know, Edge is a kind of sonic architect, you know, just the way he, the guitar is, is kind of step one in the process. Yeah, you know? it's one tool. It's one tool of many. It's surprising to me he showed me that. You know, it's really like, it's and really pulling the... kind of makes fun of it, too. You know, he's just like, yeah, listen to my cool... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the other thing I think that... Um, uh, do, do you think that, like... I mean, this might be asking too much. I mean, but do you think there was an element of, of transformation in, in any of them in the, in the course of this meeting or conversation or something that they came in maybe not expecting that they would get or learn or do or, or see or hear. Well, at the end of the movie, I don't want to give too much away, but um, throughout the movie, they're teaching each other their own songs and explaining how they got where they got. And at the end of the movie, towards the end, um, they stand up and they play In the Time of Dying, which is a Led Zeppelin song. Uh, and they're really more rehearsed. They actually had like 20 minutes to learn the song. <laughs> and... Uh, and they're go, they go around, they, they, um, and Jimmy sort of directs them a little bit, and they do their own, so, they own, do their own solos. And it's the first time in the movie where they're all you know, working together, uh, and they're in sync. And even in just two days, you could feel like they, they've, they've come from three different worlds, Detroit and Dublin and London, but they're coming together, and they're, and they're listening to each other. And yet when they're playing, their solos, their solos couldn't be more different. Yes. 
And that's just, to me, that's the transformation. Is this, you know, that music just pulls you together. There's something about it. And, and the other part about it is it's unspoken. You know, you have these transformative moments in a movie and people are saying, I love you. You know, or I'm out of here. I'm not working here anymore. You know, I'm, you know, I'm on my own. And this, they're just three guys who are, and you just, I just look at their eyes. And they're just right where the, and you know, because we have these great cameras, we're in their eyes, and it, they're just exactly where they want to be. You know, and you go, God, that's fan- that must just feel so good. You know, let's watch the final clip, and then um, like to open up the conversation to you guys if you have any questions or comments. That's impressive. That's great. It was a single cutaway, and I had a, this brilliant luthier in Seattle, uh, Randy Parsons. He made it a double cutaway for me. And then I said, well, listen, I have an idea. Can you just, can you put a silver, uh, a green bullet harmonica mic on the guitar so I can just take it out and, and right there? I got this echo unit and I brought it back to rehearsal and just got totally into playing but listening to the return echo. Filling in notes that I'm not playing, like two guitar players rather than one. The exact same thing, but it's just a little bit off to one side. I could see ways to use it that had never been used. Suddenly, everything changed. Well, you know, I realize uh, before we start, I mean, we haven't really asked you, or I haven't really asked you any questions, kind of as a filmmaker, you know, because you talk a little bit about, um, you know, about the sort of visual aspect of, 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 you know, what Edge was saying and your idea to just kind of use that, you know, uh, you know the kind of drawing and and the kind of sketching in all that imagery. Uh, it was just necessity. There's another scene where Jack White talks about li- having a bedroom that was seven by seven feet, and he had two drum kits in there, and a reel to reel and um, and an amplifier, and he had no room for his bed, so he took his bed out and he slept between them. And we animated that. We just didn't have the footage of it, and also the idea of the echo. Like, how do you get that idea across? And this wonderful animator said, well, we'll do watercolors. I was like, all right. Yes. And, you know, it, you, 10 years ago, you wouldn't do that in a documentary. But, you know, now you can do anything. It's kind of... It was beautiful. Yeah. Well, let's see. Do we have any questions? Uh, the gentleman in the back. Biggest camera. I mean, number of camera. And what kind of camera you use? Oh, the, ca- the question is how many cameras. Yeah. The movie has sort of two elements. When they're all together, we had five fabulous HD Sony cameras that were like the best in the business. Really long lens so you could get far away. So they felt like they're by themselves. And then the stuff when they're out, like you saw Edge in Dublin, just one 16 millimeter camera, like 16 millimeter film was just the best still. And what they've been shooting documentaries for for 
Since the 60s, yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Anyone? Sir? Well, I just wanted to say I had the pleasure of seeing your film in LA and I truly enjoyed it there. Um, mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask you, so did you leave the camera, the sound rolling? He says the crew was packing up afterwards. Did you somehow leave a sound recorder rolling and did you use any of that? Um, well, it's interesting. The summit, we shot HD out of necessity because um, we're just so many cameras and it would have been a lot of film and changing a lot of film. What it meant is, though, HD cameras shoot for two hours. And when we would take these breaks, we'd stop and talk. Edge and Jimmy would, like, Ed, Edge just packing his bag and say, hey, what, what tracks, what albums do you play on? I played on The Kinks, I played on Goldfinger. He's telling all these things, you know, and they're just really animated. And, of course, they saw it later and said it was okay to use. But the fact that we could just keep rolling meant that, that um, all these great things that would never have been recorded were in the movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, I certainly had no idea that Jimmy Page played on Goldfinger. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Over uh, here, down the front. Oh, okay. So are these the only three people that you approached to be in it? And who was the toughest to book? It's the question. I've been traveling with this movie for two weeks. And it's a question everyone asks, and I think everyone's a little frustrated with, which is why these three? Because everyone's got their own three. You know, everyone's got their own, you know, like fantasy football. You, 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 you put your favorite team up. And it wasn't about that. It, it wasn't about finding the three best. Um, and it wasn't even that, um, it wasn't even our three favorite. It was just like, three different generations, who could talk about it? I mean, who, there's great guitar players who are unbelievable, but you need subtitles to understand them when they talk. That's one thing. And then these guys are kind of storytellers. They're, they're, they can talk. They can, they're searchers, and they can, like, express themselves. But we, I get beat up by it. You know, I don't, you know why, why this guy and not that guy? How dare you not include Jeff Beck or Eric Clapton? And that wasn't the intent. And, in fact, the pro we were all buying into a process, and you could start the next film tomorrow and have Eric Clapton and whoever else you'd want. You know, well, you know, I mean, I think in a sense, Clapton would be the more obvious choice, you know, but I mean, I think Paige was a more interesting choice. He's a more, I think, kind of eccentric player, you know, and, to, and, and there's less of him around. I mean, Clapton wrote a whole book, yeah. you know, <laughs> that came out, and that's very good. You know, you, you, I mean, you haven't heard from this stuff from Jimmy Page that much, you know, and so it was, I, mean, I think that particular choice was interesting, you know, in that regard. You also uh, think that Clapton has a view of the electric guitar like it should be put in the Smithsonian. <laughs> it's like a precious thing. It's kind of, you know, he's a, gr he's a great musician, yeah. but it's like, you know, Jimmy is still embodying, he's still... F feeling the way he felt when he was playing in the 70s. You know? Yeah, there was, a, you know, and certainly he did stuff. I mean, when he was talking about using the bow and, and things like that, uh, I mean, it was pretty fascinating. And certainly, you know, it's not necessarily something that Clapton would ever do. Uh, Got one over here. Um, speaking about Jimmy, uh, I was just curious. He's been notoriously reclusive. So you got, I mean, I've read a lot about the movie and how you got to take pictures of him in his house and looking at, you know, this... And how did that come about? And how did you know you break you know get him to say, "Hey, I want to you know be a part of that." And or, it makes you know. me realize that I didn't answer the second part of your question, which is how we got these guys. Um, 
it was a slow process of writing letters and meeting managers. And, but ultimately, it was, I think timing is everything. I think um, making Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore even a year earlier than that, he would have been a different guy. Everyone is, you know, Jimmy is expressing what Jimmy is expressing right now. You know, and he's right now wants to tell his story. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, is he, they knew that we, he bought it, they all bought it. Jack says, I decided to do it with Davis because he didn't know what he wanted to do. You know, which is weird, but it's like the process of like, hey, let's talk. Let's build these stories out of conversations. And as musicians, I think they understood that's how you build a song. You sort of, you jam and you think about it and you tell stories and, and you have faith in that process. To follow up a little bit on that question, um, you know, when you asked Paige, well, we'd like to come to your house, like, what did he say? Well, that's the other trick is you don't ask to go to his house until the very end. Uh-huh. You know, because... You just show up at his house. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> we, we didn't know where it was. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, um, it's, it's a process of, in documentaries, is a process of gaining trust. And you don't have it on the first day. And as a journalist, I know you must feel that yeah, way. Yeah, sure, of course. And they, they want to know, as you're asking questions, what are you after? When I, I did a story on Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, and essentially, Plant had to conspire with me for me to get Jimmy Page alone. You know, like, Plant sat down with him. I mean, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with, with Plant, who was, you know, a very gracious and outgoing guy. Um, but then we, like, we sat down in this pub, and then as we were talking, uh, Plant suddenly got up and said, you know, I really got to go out to the, get the newspaper. It just like disappeared for half an hour so that I would have some time alone with Paige. Paige did not really want to do it. It was for a cover of Rolling Stone. And so, you know, to see the kind of access that you got, I mean, setting envy aside, of course, I was just <laughs> wondering, you know, just what that process was like, you know, to get in there because... I mean, some of the imagery in this movie of just watching Paige go through his very carefully organized vinyl old 45s and pick out a Link Ray 45. And I mean, it's it's just stuff that you would never see. And it's also it, it really, you know, it just kind of it humanizes him in, uh, to a tremendous degree. Yeah, I, I, some of it's just dumb luck. I mean, what uh, timing, it's timing. You know, and and trust, and just slowly, like you do it. Thank yes. you. Oh, okay. uh, I've seen a clip where Paige is talking about uh, Link Ray, and uh, you're listening to Rumble, I think. And in the background, in his house, you can you can pick out Zeppelin bootlegs, vinyl, and CDs, and things like that on his shelves. Did you guys delve into that at all? Did he show off any of his uh, interest in unauthorized live Zeppelin recordings? I cannot confirm or deny what's on his <laughs> shelf. Um, he did have this was his inner sanctum and he would have a thought about what he wanted to play next and he would walk right to where it was those records were precious to him there and I'm not sure even the film captures it but the idea of being in the 50s and going across town and finding this one record that on a chess catalog and bringing it home and there's no guitar teacher playing it over and over again and just trying to learn how to play that. That's, what, that's, that's how he became Jimmy Page. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that comes across pretty vividly. You know, it, it was, uh, and it's very affecting. You know, it, again, it just seems so, um, so real. Yeah. I suppose. Uh, Anything else? Anybody? Anyone else? I actually have a question. Oh, please. Man with <laughs> microphone. You're not Did allowed. you happen to get to go to the uh, December 2000 show at the O2 Arena of Led Zeppelin? Either of you? Did I? No. To see the Led Zeppelin reunion? No? I didn't. Okay. No. I, had, I had the most awful choice anyone should ever have to make. I had a ticket to that, 10th row, and then I had an invitation to go to, to um, Norway to see Al Gore get a Nobel Peace Prize. And? And I, and, and I tried to figure out if there's a flight that I could go to both. It's impossible. So I went to Norway. Well, do you have any concluding remarks? I mean, uh, if you were to, to, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people here have seen the movie, but, you know, if you were to say, you know, what did you, what did you hope to accomplish with it? And, and uh, you know, what would you say to someone if you were saying, you know, hey, you might want to go see this movie and here's why? Wow. Uh, thank you. That's a good question. Um, as a filmmaker who's trying, right now I'm trying to finish a film and suffering serious doubt. I'm doing a film about public school system and it's so complicated. It's so much harder than global warming. And I don't have Al Gore to help me because he figured out this, the logic of that whole thing. I'm stuck. And I look at these guys who just went back every day and worked and opened their hearts into this thing that, that you know, I go, okay, that's, that's what I need to do. So my, my feeling is like, if you have If you have longings for an artistic life and you're, and you're looking for a path to what that means, which I'm doing every day, I'm still going, how do you do this? I hope this movie helps with that. It, it, you know, it, hel it helped me in making it. So. Well, thank you very much. Man, it was thank a you. pleasure talking to you. And, uh, the thank movie you, Anthony, is terrific. from Rolling Stone, one of the great writers for Rolling Stone. He gave us his evening in the thunderstorm, so thank you, Anthony. Oh, my. Really it was wonderful. absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much.